Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. Um, I'm thrilled to have everyone joining us here tonight, and I'm very excited about the show that we're going to be doing. It's a subject very near and dear to my heart, as everyone knows. Uh, My child had a very severe anxiety disorder, and uh, many children do. It seems to almost be epidemic today in our society. And I am just so excited to have found a program that really is amazing for children. It's a completely different way of reaching these kids and making them feel okay about their feelings. So tonight I have Dr. David Russ and Chris McCarthy joining us. They are the creators of Turnaround, Turning Fear into Freedom. So welcome. How are you tonight? Uh, We're great. Thank you for having us on your show. Yes, thank you. Oh, well, as I said, I'm I'm so excited because you know, this is very near and dear to my heart. And, you know, the, it seems that anxiety, um, I know that you've told me um, previously that it's the number one mental disorder in children and adults in the United States. You know, it just seems so much more common than it was when I was a child. You know, why has it become such a big issue? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because... Um, if you look at the Mexico, for example, in Mexico, 94% of the population has never had an anxious or depressive episode, whereas in the uh, United States, you know, one out of 13 children has an anxious uh, anxiety disorder, one out of 13, one out of 18, uh, 20 million adults have anxiety disorder, and an interesting study shows that once the Mexicans come over to America, within a matter of months, they become just as stressed out as we are. So America is a very stress-filled society. We very much are, you know, have the mindset of independence and being on top of your game and handling your problems, and and that creates a lot of stress that then gets translated down to the kids through schoolwork and expectations and so on, and then they become very stressed as well. Right, and and the the curriculum that they have for these kids. I mean, listen, I am all for education, but this the curriculum today for these high school kids is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, they're doing college work in 11th grade. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I could see how, you know, that alone could be a problem. You know, but there are a lot of different types of disorders. And I think that there are, it's very difficult, especially for, you know, a first-time parent or, you know, someone who's not familiar with mental illness. That it, It's hard to, it, when they're very young, to tell what is a problem. And what is just maybe a timid or shy kid that will just grow out of it? Um, you know, how how can a parent tell? That's a that's a sixty four thousand dollar question. A lot of times, because uh, th- there are normal developmental stages where kids have different kinds of anxiety, and uh, you know, for younger kids, it's usually physical events, imaginary creatures. Uh, but as uh, kids get older, it becomes more about uh, social issues and things like that. And, uh, you know, there's some fears that uh, cut across the different ages and things. So uh, one of the things that we look for is kind of a, a, a diagnostic grid where uh, if, you know, the symptoms uh, meet these criteria, that's usually a sign, okay, it's, it's moved past, um, just sort of regular developmental things, afraid of the dark, that kind of stuff. And so the things we tell people to look for is, is the anxiety significantly out of line with 
what people would expect would kind of fit the situation. Like right. that it just seems so much more intense than is warranted by the circumstances. That's one of the things. Uh, the other thing is, is the, is the fear captivating? Is it overwhelming? Um, is, is the intensity and the weight of it uh, really interfering with child's ability to enjoy life, go about regular events and things? And, uh, you know, the other thing is kind of along that line is how is it really interfering with life? Uh, is it getting in the way of them socially? Is it making school difficult or are kids refusing school? Uh, is it turning into a significant sleep problem? And sometimes the best way to, to, to determine that is how much it's affecting the parent. I mean, if the parent can't get the kid to go to school and then the parent has to take care of the child or the parent's up late at night because the child can't go to sleep or, you know, sometimes one of the ways to determine how critical it's become is the effect on the parent as well yeah. and the other family members. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, I, I find that, you know, sometimes parents are, are almost forced, especially with younger children, to participate. Um, because, yeah. you know, for some children, you know, there are different levels. I mean, there's the child who's mildly anxious, who might get be uncomfortable, and then there's the child that has school phobia. And school phobia is not a spoiled child that doesn't want to go to school. It is right. a real problem. Right. Um, and you're right, and, and a lot of these children wind up that it's even, you know, more advanced, that it's obsessive-compulsive disorder, and they have mental mm -hmm. rituals, and they have, you know, rituals that they need to, to do, and the parents, it's very, very difficult because you have to draw the line of what you need to do to make them comfortable and yeah. what you need to do to not, you know, support what they're doing. But do you find that very young um, could you tell, do you think, because I hear a lot of parents that have children with severe anxiety disorders, um, that they saw the startle reflex was very strong, that yep. there was very strong stranger anxiety, um, you know, fear of preschool. You know, do you find that that's something common even in infants? Uh, yeah, usually the, the sympathetic nervous system is just wound up. I mean, they're, they, they have kind of a hair trigger for those sorts of things, and an exaggerated startle reflex is uh, a pretty good sign that uh, someone's just over-aroused. Yeah. Right. And so how would a parent, I mean, obviously, you know, they're realizing that it's affecting the child, and as you said, it does. You know, people don't understand that, you know, mental illness in children and teens is crippling for them. And it winds up, you know, affecting the whole family. So, you know, when is it time for a parent to say, I need to get help? And where would what would be their first step? Well, the sooner the better when it comes to anxiety. Because uh, part of anxiety is just the habit. I mean, basically, uh, any kind of anxiety has an obsessing quality. You tend to repeat because you're trying to solve it. So you worry about it. You worry about it. Well, that can just create... I mean, your nervous system just memorizes it. So the sooner you can uh, uh, impact that or interrupt that, the better. Yeah, and what typically starts to happen is the, is the parents start to try to make sense of it themselves. And sometimes the paradigm that they are applying to this child is not correct, such as this child's spoiled. You know, the, the, it's the parenting problem that we're just spoiling this child or we're, we're too nice on this child or this child is just a wimp or something like that. And oftentimes the parents are are 
you know, in some ways hindering the, the resolution of the problem because of their paradigms. So oftentimes parents just need to say, okay, what is happening here? What, what are the signs? What's, what's going on here? If we just look at the child, what is the child communicating to us verbally and nonverbally? And then oftentimes they start by going to the pediatrician. You know, they go to the pediatrician. That's, they're typically the frontline people that, that, that usually hear these complaints first. And many times the pediatrician will either recommend a therapist or, or a program like ours, Turnaround. Um, but I think it's just really important for the parents to just accept what is, to realize that right. it's not a game. It's not, a, it's not just a, a child whining or it's something like that. It's not manipulation. And, then, and just really try to deal with what is, not in terms of what maybe they think is something else. And, you know, I think it's important that if parents hear that, because they're still old school. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the times have changed. I had old school. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't that the parents thought they were spo- spoiling the child. They were being told okay. that they were they were using poor parenting. And, you know, that was like the refrigerator age of autism, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, but, you know, it was, it was, the, it was bad parenting. And yeah. it's not bad parenting. And, you know, I, I tell parents, if you have four children and you have one child that is behaving, you know, with a lot of problems, it's not you, you know. Yeah, that's so, great, um, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it's a great point because we have a, a neuropsychiatrist that we interview on the program. When they buy the program, they get this interview with Dr. James Lee, who's a neuropsychiatrist. And one of the things that he says is, you know, back in the older days, you would have, you know, six to 12 kids, and you as a parent would say, well, gosh, you know, Four of our kids are doing just fine, and we're just having problems with Johnny. So it really must be Johnny that's having some problems here. Let's get him some help. But in this day and age where you have one, two, three children, especially if you just have two, it, it, it becomes more of a parenting focus rather than a child focus, and that's where they can miss opportunities to get the child the help they need. Right. And, you know, of course, there are always situations where, you know, unfortunately there is bad parenting or there sure. is abuse. Um, that can cause these type of situations. And that's not what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, you know, we're talking about the child that has a neurobiological disorder um, right. and has anxiety. Um, you know, Dr. Russ, you know this on a professional and a personal level because you had a child that had an anxiety disorder. I did. Um, around uh, age 10, my youngest daughter began to show symptoms of anxiety, and at first uh, there was a flu outbreak at the school she was in, and so, you know, she was getting alarmed that she was going to get sick and potentially throw up. And, uh, of course, when you get anxious, the the blood flow and uh, uh, metabolic process changes in your body, and essentially your digestive system kind of shuts down. It's mm-hmm. not essential, which means your stomach's not going to feel very good. So if she got anxious, afraid she was going to throw up, uh, her body would create those bad kind of upset stomach feelings and uh, develop from there into a panic disorder. Um, and, uh, you know, I do this for a living, and it just was, it just unnerved me to watch my own child go through this and uh, I was really... It's very painful. Oh, gosh, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable. You, um, you're just overwhelmed by their pain, and then you get anxious because their anxiety actually kind of persuades you. Like, oh, no, you know, what if, uh, what, what if they never get control? What if, and, uh, and, and then and you, you walk have... walk on eggshells. 
You know, walk on parents egg have shell? to walk on eggshells, which is you know not a, not easy to do long term. Right. Because uh, you know the usual kind of parenting things where you nicely impose your will that actually backfires, you know, and so you push a little harder and it gets worse, and you know. Right. Yeah, and I had a child that had some obsessive compulsive tendencies, and and you know, same thing of just being confused and. You know, as a therapist myself, seeing this and trying to help him, but um, and then that's where David and I researched material to try to help our kids, and really con- didn't find really anything that we thought it was really good quality, and that was the inspiration behind Turnaround to to produce a product that was very child friendly, spoke to the children directly, and and really helped them. Um, yeah, there was great and, information. You know, that's, There's great information. That's what I want to go into. Okay. Yeah, because you know it's a new, it's like a foreign language. Yeah. I actually just wrote a blog about this. It's a foreign language that you learn how to speak to your child, and and I call it the the language of constant positive. Um, but you really do have to train the way that you talk, and what you have created that takes it to the next level. So you know, tell us about turnaround, how you created it, where you base these characters on, and why it's so different from every other child anxiety program out there? Um, Turnaround was um, created to to speak directly to children. Um, As you heard, both of our children struggled with it, but the materials that were out there did not speak directly to children. They spoke to the parents, expecting the parents to play the role of the counselor and then help their child. And we as counselors ourselves just found that that wasn't effective. So what we decided to do was we created a storyline of six anxious children um, going on a 10-day hiking trip with Dr. David, Dr. Chris, and a teen mentor named Emily. And the six children represent six types of anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic attacks, uh, separation anxiety, um, general worries and fears, and uh, social, social anxiety social, disorder. Yeah. And, and perfectionism. And each of the children represent a different type of anxiety, and so the children act out, you know, what a child who has those disorders would would uh, be acting like and behaving. And so it's an adventure. They meet animated characters. Um, they, the children are talking to the children who's listening to the program about their anxieties and how they overcome it. And then we, as the professionals, come in and just give advice. And, and then we personify the feeling of panic. We have a, a character that personifies that he's crazy and he's, you know, he's just crazy. His name's Crank. And then he personifies that character, and then we have another character that personifies um, the calming of the child, which is we call chill. Um, and so it's it's the unique thing about it is it's professional. It's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. It's child-centered, where it's speaking directly to the children, and we do encourage the parent to listen with it because just like you said, it's a language. And so we give children and parents terms that are on child's level. You know, it's on the it's their vocabulary. And then the, the parent and child share that vocabulary, and that just opens up just wide discussions about the anxiety that they were never able to have before because they didn't share a common language. We get a lot of feedback from parents saying how wonderful that alone is, is that they, they can now talk to their child using terms that both parent and child understand. And I think that also for the children, I don't care how young they are, they know that something's not right. They know they're different. Yeah. My daughter told me at four years old, Mommy, why am I not like the other children? Uh, mm. And we were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that really at the core of it is that when these children, even at a very young age, know that something is not right with them, it just has to be such a relief 
to have other kids expressing what they're expressing. Um, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned perfectionism because, you know, I think often people don't understand what perfectionism is because in my experience, perfectionism wasn't necessarily that it had to be right or perfect. It had to feel right. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, that's a big difference, and it's important for parents to get that. Right. Yeah, the the tricky thing about anxiety is, you know, kids will say, I'm afraid of this or I'm worrying about that, but a, a lot of times the content actually is it's not it's kind of baloney just to be blunt. I mean, it's uh, it's like your nervous systems grab that, and... Um, it's uh and so you get kind of distracted by that but actually there's a like a uh physiological demand which is that feeling i got to get that feeling right right so it's not so much the content it's the feeling that yeah. it gets attached to content yeah, yeah. It, that's right. that's part of what drives this is and it's almost like when that when you that feeling happens your brain goes looking for an explanation yes, yes. you uh, know what i used to do is i used to print out make three copies and she could do the the worksheet three times, and then she would pick which one she would hand in. I mean, otherwise she would just keep doing them. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just so hard for them. Um, so why don't you tell us some of the scenarios um, that are on this audio and what ages it addresses? Okay. Um, the The ages are 6 to 12. And sometimes uh, someone a little bit younger, and uh, uh, 12 seems to be the upper limit. Especially and sometimes about 11 and a half, um, uh, kids might tend to age out until they turn about 16 or so, and then they like it again. But uh, uh, parents seem to like it, but uh, it's a little embarrassing. It feels a little childish for those middle ages. So th- those are kind of uh, the ages that we found with Occasional exceptions to work really well. Um, some of the scenarios, uh, we've got one character who has OCD, and um, he, uh, you know, at different times, he talks about his symptoms, and uh, uh, we take kids through both first understanding their nervous system, what's going on physically, and explain those weird symptoms and, and normalize it. And then we teach them how to talk back and uh, identify sort of troubling thinking and dispute it. And then we teach them how to face fears, which uh, exposure. And um, um, so we have them experience things like uh, jumping off cliffs into the lake, you know, and having to experience that fear of jumping and and facing their fears that way. Uh, The obsessive-compulsive child has to face um, his fears of meeting a, a mountain man we have in the program named Dolliver. And Dolliver is a very wise man, but he lives in the country, you know, and, and everything's not clean and perfect. And, and so they go in his cabin and they kind of have to work through that. And then he tells them a story of another child that has problems. So throughout the program, the children deal with the anxieties themselves and talk about it. But we also introduce vignettes of other children coming in and talking about their anxieties, whether it's it's uh, telling speeches in classrooms or um, fear of, of hitting a baseball, you know, yeah. and, and so we play that scene out of a coach, you know, kind of encouraging the kid to hit the ball, but the kid's very nervous. And, and so these vignettes are introduced to kind of, one, break up the programming because the kids need some change, so it's very, once again, child center. And then to give them as many different experiences of other children of what they experienced and then how they worked it out. 
And you said that you, you um, in this program, teach them to talk to their own bodies, to self-talk, really. Yeah. How, how does that work? How do you teach them to do that? Because I think that's so important. Yeah, um, like with uh, my daughter, you know, when she was anxious, we'd go, do you, what are you thinking? Why do you think you're feeling this way? And she'd go, I don't know. And uh, uh, because they don't, that's very abstract to be able to think about your own thinking. And developmentally, that is really hard at that age. And so what we do is we uh, we've, we took sort of the most common kind of uh, beliefs or assumptions or the kind of thinking and uh, wove that in and gave examples for kids. And then for each of those kind of things, we, we talked about sort of the most uh, child-friendly ways of disputing things, like uh, what are the facts, um, uh, mind reading, and uh, uh, challenging that, and uh, uh, those kinds of things. So we've, uh, we've got basically three CDs where we have all these different scenarios of how to identify things and then how to dispute that. Yeah. Uh, children do better when the fear is externalized meaning it's, it's something that hits them from the outside. So one of the first uh, assignments they have to do is they have to um, draw a picture of their anxiety and, and picture it as outside of them coming at them. And then they label that anxiety as a, they give it a name, uh, Wacky Wendy or uh, Evil Bob or, or something like that. And so that right there helps them take the fear of it, of it being inside them and they see it as outside them coming at them. And that really helps them fight it. And then we personify the feeling of panic, and we call that crank. And, and crank has his own character in the series. And so they're able to say, this is crank coming and getting me. This is crank getting me upset. This is my evil Bob. This is my whatever they had named their, their uh, anxiety. And that alone, just externalizing their fear, helps them so much because it's not, it's not them they're able to feel. It's not so much me. It's this thing coming at me, and it just really helps them address it more effectively. Yeah. We work really hard to remove the mystery and uh, right. what, what is going on. the mystery what is, is what is causes fear. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, then you get afraid of that. And, right. Uh, and that, I think a that, lot of these kids, I know for myself, I had a panic attack once going through the Midtown Tunnel, coming home from Manhattan. I've been through the Midtown Tunnel thousands of times. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened, but the whole tunnel started spinning. I thought I was having a heart attack, and I couldn't drive through. Yeah. And it made Terrifying. no sense. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Um, but what happened was I didn't have a fear of the tunnel, but I still, when I'm just about going in, I have a fear it will happen again. And yeah, I think you know, that's what's been related to me from my child, is exactly. that it's the fear that it's going to happen. Yes. Yeah, like any anxiety disorder, it's that. Like, um, you know, it's not, you're right, it's not, you're not that afraid of the tunnel, you're afraid that you're going to lose control in the tunnel. Because right. the core underlying belief with any anxiety disorder is I have lost control of myself. It's got me, I don't have it. That's not true, but that feels subjectively like the truth. And that's one of the things you have to address, where you you help people get control back because they feel like this is unpredictable, I can't control it, it's got me, and then they get terrified of that. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was a good thing, but what I used to do with my child was um, 
you know, I had been told, I was very fortunate that I had some great counsel from the very beginning, and, you know, I had been told that, you know, in the average person, the adrenaline will flow for about 15 minutes, but a, chi- a child or an adult that has an anxiety disorder, it could be pumping for 40 minutes. Yeah. So, um, you know, we would teach her to um, count it in Rugrats episodes, yeah. and, you know, that this will pass, so that she would have some frame of mind as to yeah. when her body was going to feel calm. And, you know, I don't know if that was a good thing to do or a bad thing to do, but um, it worked for her. But, yeah. you know, what are some of the wrong things that parents should say when a child is panicked, anxious, afraid to go somewhere? What are the what shouldn't a parent do? Well, comments like this is all in your head or you're just being weak, you know, be stronger, buck up. Um, um, you know, attacking character. Yes. Like, uh, uh, you know, when you're trying to teach your child character, it's not like the parents run around, but, you you know, trying to attack character. But, you know, you're getting frustrated and you go, you know, and that works a lot of the time. But what happens is you push a little and, okay, maybe I need a second push, and then you keep going and it just escalates everything. Yeah, you don't want to shame your child. You don't want to uh, criticize them in terms of just being, you know, I still have a parent that I work with that, uh, that his child – has had anxiety for quite a long time, and, and there's still this sense of it's just in his head. It's just in his head. He just needs to be stronger and get over it. And there's really not an understanding of the physiological response that takes place in these children. And and, and so uh, the parents need to really realize that, that this is a physiological response that's just terrifying, you know, like we, what you experience in the tunnel. And if they can just be patient with that. And once again, this is where the externalizing helps. You know, it's it's your wacky windy coming and getting you. It's crank, you know, cranking you up. And and so just hang on and let's what we teach the children is is to start listening to the voice of chill instead of crank and and so chill helps them calm down, breathe, you know, um maybe stretch your muscles or flex your muscles or things like that and just helps them cope with those what we call the yucky feelings. You know, the yucky feelings are those physiological feelings that the child feels. And so we help children just persevere through those yucky feelings until they go until it goes by you know right. and and i think it's so crucial that parents really make sure that the schools get it yeah oh yeah um you know yeah. because when these children are in school and they're having this going on and you know that they either they don't have the time to deal with them on a one-on-one level or they just dismiss it it really just creates so many more problems for these kids. Yeah, we're finding that teachers are a lot more, because of how frequent it is now, a lot more sophisticated mm-hmm. about that and very, generally speaking, very understanding. So, um, uh, But that's really important that you make sure, like you might need to do some uh, uh, looking out for your kid as far as the environment and making sure that it's not misinterpreted or that uh, that something in the environment isn't uh, making it worse. Yeah, for example, I had a, a child I worked with, and it was just this irrational fear of getting stuck in the classroom when he felt like he was choking. And so we just simply worked with the teacher. to He would just have a simple hand signal, and she knew that he just needed to get up and walk outside just for a couple of minutes to calm his panic down. And that alone, just having a plan just having a plan in place, I don't think he ever actually exercised it. No. He just well, they don't need could, to, right, exactly. Right. Once they, they know have they plan. have that out, they don't need it. That's right. That's right. right. It's like uh, because it's a, a sense of a loss of control, anything you can do to reestablish that by saying, okay, here's what to expect, like you did with your daughter, it'll last about this long. 
You've been through it before. It's just anxiety. Just normalize it uh, and say, you know, here's what will happen, here's what's next, uh, so that you take away kind of, you give back some control. You take away the loss of control as much as you can. On the second CD of our program, we call them days, so day two, we we define what anxiety is. It's the, it's what we call the wacky thoughts, the yucky feelings, and the zany responses. And oftentimes, just that understanding of what anxiety is helps so much. Uh, we had a uh, I was talking to a parent the other day on the phone who called in, and, and and she said that that her child after the second day, you know, ran outside, which he was not able to do, saying, "I'm free, I'm free," just simply because he understood Aww. everything, and it makes so much sense. Actually, on day two, when they find out. When you, when the kid understands that it's a physical thing, that they're not crazy, right. that other mm-hmm. children feel it, they feel so much better. We have one minute left, so why don't you tell everyone how they can order this? Because really, as a parent who's been there, this is just priceless. Yeah, well, they can go to www.myanxiouschild.com. That's myanxiouschild.com. Um, uh, on that site, you'll learn all about it. You can hear clips. Yeah, we've uh, we've written about it, tried to explain it, and uh, uh, all kinds of information. You can also access on uh, Facebook, My Anxious Child, through Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Um, and then when you get to the site, you can order it using PayPal, credit card, or even call a number, and you can take care of it that way. We offer a single payment plan as well as a, a two-month payment plan with basically three payments paid over two months. Um and we, we keep the price reasonable because we know this is for kids, and sometimes uh, parents who have children don't have as much disposable income. So uh, myanxiouschild.com, and, uh, and, you know, not everything always works, and so we offer a 90-day warranty, unconditional. You know, try it. Well, you know, I think I think it's just priceless for children to hear it from other children's voices. It's going to just be so comforting, yeah. and it does teach the language parents need to learn. So exactly. a few seconds left. Thank you very much for joining us. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. As we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here on The Coffee Clutch. Have a great night, everyone. <laughs>